Hey, and welcome back to the Comeback Podcast with your host, Connor, as always. And as you know, I speak to people from all around Saigon about their background, their businesses, their work, and more, regardless of nationality or anything else. So today, with that in mind, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Garrett, who is the owner at Kebab and Wraps and Dulce, and also a teacher. So we're going to go into his business, his teaching, life in Vietnam, and more. Welcome, Garrett. How are you? Ah, hi, Connor. Thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. Yeah, we are doing quite a bit around here, so I'm pretty excited to get a chance to uh, talk with you and uh, share with the people about what's going on around. Yeah. Well, I mentioned to you before we start discussing, I usually interview some teachers. I interview business owners. Rare, rarely the two. Mm. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's done a crossover, so this is a unique Yeah, we, we have found, though, that there's a teaching kind of offers that springboard, right? And and the connections that go with it. We, we get a lot of these connections where we get support from our community. So they're out there. There's, yeah. there's a couple of them out there, but it's fun to be the first. Absolutely, and when you initially came to Vietnam, six years ago? Yeah, 2016. Was, was teaching the avenue you took? Yep. Right, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah, I had actually planned to be here for a year. And I thought that I would come and visit for a year and then do my travel, because I hadn't traveled. And um, after that, I would go home and that did not happen like a lot of people just fell in love with the country and it's so amazing here that one year became another and six years later here I am yeah how does it differ from your home country which is is Oregon where you grew up yeah I'm from Oregon Oregon in the states um it's much busier you know my the biggest city back home is a million something people so to come here where there's 12 million and the motorbikes and stuff is quite different but in other ways it's it's very much like home that it's it's more cultural here than you would think. You know, it's such a wide variety of people, and Oregon is a lot like that too, where we're very open with our community. So I, f- I find a lot of home here too. Yeah, for sure. And can you tell me a bit about your business background, as in how you initially got started, just within business and the work you do? Did this originate in origin? In uh, Oregon, sorry. <laughs> no, I mean I've I've always loved food and hospitality. I've since I was 15, I've worked in restaurants as a dishwasher, busboy, waiter. I've done prep chef work and. Um, so it's always been something I really wanted to do was work in food and hospitality. Um, so it was it was in the cards to happen for sure, but it wasn't something that we did back home, no. Right, I see. And what initially brought you to it in Vietnam? How did you get started out? So I would I would say a community for one. I mean, as far as community goes, I'm a huge foodie as much as people can hate that term nowadays. <laughs> Um, and we just love to explore and there's so much good community here. Um, you know, Scott Marquis from La Fiesta was one of my first like friends in the industry and he's, he's such an open book and, um, that really led to this gateway of understanding what the hospitality industry and food industry was like here for expats and kind of gave a template to how you could come out there. So it wasn't something I planned on doing, but it's something that I learned because of how open the community was here. Yeah, and what struck me when I arrived is the sheer variety, as in you can see Spanish, Mexican, Italian, French. Maybe this is not just because I live in Taudien, but you see such variety. Has that always been the case here or has this developed, say, in the last three or four years? It's, I wouldn't say it's always been the case, but it's not in the last three or four years. You know, somebody, Scott and um, like Brad Siegel, Eddie's, I mean, he's lived here for 20 something years. I mean, and he's, you know, he's had Eddie's going for, I don't know, a decade now or something. I don't, it's been a long time. So it's an industry that's slowly grown. And um, I think it's been aided by just the, the sheer amount of people who have been here. 
without getting too political, just saying they were French here for a while. And so there's a lot of French influence. You know, you have the Chinese who are here for a while. There's a lot of that influence and the Malaysians and South. So you also see like all of this incoming with the British and the Americans too. So I, I think it's an industry that's very ripe for this growth. It's in other countries, it feels forced. If you go to Cambodia, it feels like somebody was like, I'm gonna make this yeah, here. Yeah. Whereas here it feels, feels kind of organic that Vietnamese people are very open-minded and they're very open to try new things yeah, as long sure. as it's within their um, their budget or their, their interests because they like to talk about it. So it wasn't always this way, but it was very organic in the way that it happened the last five years or so. As one person took a step, they opened their mind and ate something else, you know. So it's it's been interesting watching it blossom, but for sure was not how it's always been. Yeah, and which one came first, kebab and wraps or dolce? Well, kebabs and wraps is actually a business that was started about three and a half or four years ago by somebody else. Mm. Um, and I became good friends with them. And during COVID, they ended up leaving and we took it over um, just because we loved the concept and the owners were good friends of ours as well. So um, that came first as a restaurant, but for our ownership, Dulce came first. It's about two years old now. Right, okay. And what was the idea behind Dulce? If you say two years, COVID, how did this tie in? You're, you're looking at it. I mean, that's really yeah. what it was is my wife and I, she worked in office and I was a teacher, so we got stuck at home. And I was missing some things from back home, like cinnamon rolls, so that you couldn't really find here the way I wanted. So I started, you know, I bought an oven and did a little baking for my wife, and she was really interested, and she started to bake. And we were like, well, we can sell the cinnamon rolls. Just see if anybody else, you know, and you never can make one. Yeah. So, you know, we have 20 cinnamon rolls. We'll see if somebody else, and they started picking up and selling. And um, her interest in baking was fueled by this interest from others to kind of pick up as we baked. Right, I see. And how did you see Dolce take off? Because obviously, perhaps I'd say it's slightly more niched, but then you did have the COVID period when yeah. you had to go through. Were you still able to, I guess, not perform, but get something out during COVID because you can bake it yourself? Um, yeah, yeah. And it, you really have to define what t time of COVID this was because we had like the first wave, mm. um, which is why and when we started being stuck home. And then we have the lockdown phase, yeah. which, which leads to a different thing. Um, so repeat the first question. Yeah, it was right? just how tricky was the COVID period, I suppose. Uh, for COVID, I mean, it really interrupted a lot of parts of our lives, but for Dulce, it really helped um, because people were at home, they were craving something new, but they couldn't go out for experiences. So when we brought in these Western desserts and like these things that, you know, were, were very much you know, homey. They were, they were comfort food and it's what people were missing from home. It really aided us, especially with the couriers and the grab and here, you know, it's so easy and cheap to ship that um, it worked out good for us. Um, and it was much more of a stepping block up than a roadblock to keep us behind. For sure. And how has Dolce developed perhaps from when you began to where it is now? Has there been, have there been any significant changes that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously our technique has grown. Um, my wife is a YouTube university graduate. She was not a baker before, but I'm sure by now she's crammed 2000 hours. And um, it's something that we found our fans really love too, is as she learns something, our fans are finding out that they love it too. 
And by the time they're done with it or they say, okay, that's great, we've moved on to the next dessert and our fans are ready also. So we've incorporated more techniques. You know, we, we have some more French driven techniques. We've had access to more um, ingredients because as we've grown larger, our suppliers have also grown bigger. So we've been able to get, you know, fruits and, and better quality of like dairy products. So you see a lot of our quality going up, which is something our fans have also followed and liked as well. Definitely. And I'm trying, forgive me if this is naive, but I'm, of course I enjoy the home comforts and of sure. course I enjoy the cakes, but I don't have them that often. And yeah. I really don't kind of look out for it. It's only if it occasionally comes. Now that's just my personal preference. Is is it something that's a bit of a niche in the Saigon food scene, or are there loads of places you have to compete with? I'm genuinely unsure. So I we've we've picked some particular areas that we could be a niche. I mean, especially during COVID, we saw that home baking blew up. I mean, and we had a lot of competitors. Um, I like to say that we made cinnamon rolls popular in Saigon. We weren't the first ones by far. There were, I mean. Eddie's has sold cinnamon rolls and stuff, but it was when COVID came and we started something that we saw other home bakers starting to follow suit. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting in that way. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and likewise. Oh, but is it? It's niche. It it is niche, and we've tried to pick where where we are niche are ways that people would miss, um, such as buttercream cakes. You don't find buttercream here. You find topping cream or whipped cream. So where we went niche is we went home in quality that people don't have here. So it's cream cheese, one hundred percent pure butter, one hundred percent pure cream. And that is what where we pick our niche, and then we go fighting against everybody else who's doing home baking and baking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's some fantastic stuff out here, so it, it is a really tight, um, a tight playing field. Yeah, definitely. And a similar question: Does that niching also apply to the kebabs, kebabs and wraps? Because I, for a while, looked for a decent kebab, and then only came across a, a selection of places, one which I will never go to again. But there's four or five, I think you know what I mean. Uh, there's four <laughs> or five there, so I think. How, does it also is it also something with it, regarding to niching that you've had to apply to kebabs? Yeah, absolutely. Because in that way, you know, we we often look at like there's a lot of expats here, and you know, there's obviously the late night kebab culture, and that follows. As an American from the West Coast, we don't really have that culture. Right, yeah. um, so I took over kebabs just as a love. You know, I, sure. I really wanted to explore the culture and to make my own recipes and see if I could compete. Um, but as far as a niche market, it is because there's a lot of big places that do good food. I mean, Beirut's got great food. Pasha's got great food. Um, there's other smaller places, you know, but as far as kebab stands only, you do find it gets smaller. We have Kebab 88, Tangerine. Um, there was the one that shall not be named for a while. <laughs> you know, there's, and there's some smaller ones too, like Shawarma House and stuff. So we, we do find that it's niche and finding you know, where can we offer something new? You know, and it always starts the same with dulce and kebabs is we don't do, we don't take shortcuts. Mm. So everything we do is made from scratch from both places. And we know that that compared with our customer service makes us successful first. Um, and that's where we try to like beat out this niche market. Right, customer service is the, at the front of your, I guess, mission. Which yeah, is absolutely, true. absolutely. Nice. Yeah. I mean, here it's, it's really hard because Western, there's a certain service standard here that actually isn't bad if you know that service standard. Who doesn't love to shop down a waiter for a beer? Uh, don't you wish you could go home and just, just be like, hey, 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 you've, you've ignored me for five minutes now. Give me the beer, right? But here, if you go to a nice place, you get that. But um, training people here and Vietnamese here to understand a Western standard and why that's valuable um, 
really raises up the quality of any business that you have. And we realize that, and that's something we focus on as right, well. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about how you work with your team and how you manage to make sure that customer service is up there. Is that one thing you mainly use, adopting the Western mindset? Absolutely. Yeah. Right, okay. yeah. Are there any other techniques that you use, or is that primary? Well, we number one thing we tell our, our employees is just to listen. You know, I mean, and here, the most infuriating thing you can get from a customer and service point of view is, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, 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 I do it. But they weren't listening. And really, your problem isn't even that they weren't, that they didn't do what you want, is that you know they weren't listening. So we just teach our staff first to be quiet and listen for the problem. You know, and by allowing a customer to speak, you almost solve all of your problems. You know, because they don't get to shout online, they've already shouted at you. Um, and then from that point, we teach them, is that something, a problem that you can solve or is that a problem that your, you know, me or my wife should solve, my partner, and we move from there. But it's completely part of our, um, our ethos, you know, and how we attack our businesses is we take care of our customers first. Absolutely. And how do you deal with things from the marketing side of things? Because as we've alluded to, there's lots of, say, competition out there, etc. Mm -hmm. How do you make your businesses stand out and how do you deal with your marketing? Um, first of all, is just networking. I mean, I already mentioned about Scott and La Fiesta and we have other, you know, one of the first things I did is I, I eat everywhere. I said I was a self-professed foodie and that meant that, you know, if I see an owner walking around to say, hey, how's it going? You know, what's what's up? And, and, you know, I've had an opportunity here to meet that. And when we started Dulce, that network helped us get out. You know, having somebody like Scott talk about our food, you know, or, or project that out into the foodies and having a presence in the foodies community here with Saigon Foodies allowed us to instantly get exposure. Um, and without that network, it would have been really hard to grow. And you see a lot of people struggle in that way here where, you know, they might have a good product but they're shouting out into the, sh the air. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah. there's no radio, there's no TV, there's no, I mean, you've got Facebook, but Facebook algorithms now are very strange. So mm -hmm. we really found that the network here and the connections you make is, is so paramount. Yeah. And then upholding that once it's out there becomes a second. Yeah, I remember I've spoken to quite a few F&B owners and been friends with several, and also the same thing of just trying each other's food putting it on the Facebook pages, networking, like you say, building that rapport over time, maintaining it is much more, I guess it seems much more beneficial than perhaps just shouting out here on the radio, come and try Dolce, that's it. Yeah. You know, like mm -hmm. actually getting that rapport and relationships over time, even with, let, let's just say, quote unquote, competitors can be so crucial. Yeah, no, and it's something that I really appreciate here is competitors can be friendly here. You know, like, I've shout out to Saigon Kebab House and Henry over there. He's an Australian Turkish dude who, who makes some really great lamb kebabs, makes Turkish food. And when I took over kebabs, he's like, you ever need anything, stop by. You know, and I'll help you out. I'll show you. And there was a couple times in the beginning where I wasn't sure about, you know, maybe a spice profile or maybe I didn't know if this actually went in there, if this was acceptable. And I could bring it by and he'd just straight up tell me, that's good, that ain't. You know, and you don't really expect that from a competitor, you know, yeah, sure. much less for them to entertain you, but to give you valuable feedback. Um, so the, the network here is crucial. I mean, it's so important. Yeah. How do you deal with feedback? If I ask you like, honestly, do you enjoy it? Is it something you struggle with? How do you deal with it? We accept it with 100%. With I mean, when I said we listen, that's really our main goal. Um, we think, I, I particularly think that if, if you have a five-star rating and everybody loves your food, 
they're probably not saying that behind your back. And we would always prefer you said it to us. Um, so we welcome all feedback. I mean, and prefer negative feedback more. We hope you don't have it, of course, but you know, we, we have customers say, hi, sorry, you know, I hate to message people, but you know, this wasn't right. I was like, no, please let us fix it. You know, and it's super important in, uh, in the dessert space even more. You know, if, I, if at kebabs, we make a mistake with the kebab, sorry, let me make you a new wrap. It'll be on the way in 20 minutes. My biggest apologies. You have a birthday party and my cake is not right when it makes it to your birthday party. I don't have the luxury of saying, let me make you a new cake. Yeah, It'll be yeah. on the way. You know, so um, all that feedback is so important. So we don't, every mistake matters and every bit of feedback we get helps us prevent those mistakes in the future. So we will open it with wide arms. And if it was a negative experience and you feel the need to shout it at us and tell us how bad it was, we'll listen, but we will fix it as best as we can. Mm. But it's super important, you know, and um, there are some people here who don't take feedback as well, um, but it's always been a cornerstone of why we get better every day. Absolutely, because without that, you don't grow, do you? You don't, yeah. 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 I mean, you do, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's all well and good being like, oh yeah, you're amazing, you're amazing, but there's only so far that can take you because then you could get complacent whilst someone gives you the negative. It can hurt initially, you know, your ego can get pricked, but is it the only way you're going to develop? Yeah, my wife and I are both very humble in that way that, you know, we do think we have a good product, but there's always room to grow and there's always room, maybe we didn't think of a flavor or we thought that flavor was what we wanted and, mm. you know, and it's, I don't want to feed people food they don't want. Absolutely. And if it turns out that 10 people don't like our food, we are the problem, not the people. Um, so we're always listening for that. Yeah, I love that. And that relates to, I guess, um, it's, it's like a humility thing where it's important to look for ways to grow and constructive criticism, etc. But it's also important to acknowledge our achievements. This can be related to dulce or kebabs. Uh, what are you most proud of? Ooh. That you've achieved so far? I think, I think both of them have things that we're proud of, but in different ways. For kebabs, it was taking on a new cuisine and remaking the menu in a way that we saw growth from. Um, the previous owners were Turkish and the first one was Turkish and the second one was Palestinian. And they had some great recipes, which we didn't touch what was good, but there were things that needed improved and it was amazing that I we put in hours, I mean, doing research and testing and feedback and to come up with a better product that people liked was one of my proudest moments because I just want to make good food. Um, and for Dulce, it's we built a storefront from the ground up. You know, we we started with a little 20 liter Sanicky oven in our dining room that we had we had retrofitted our dining room to be a bake space. You know, we cleaned it out and made it made it perfect for to sell and, and clean. But to go from a 20 liter Sanicky oven to building a whole two-story front with a cafe is something that we never imagined ever could have happened. Um, so I think both have their, their points of pride. Uh, we've, we've, it's been a crazy journey in the <laughs> yeah, last two years, yeah. really. Yeah, and on the contrary to that, what you're most proud of, what have been some of the biggest challenges and how have you navigated these? Mm -hmm. That's, uh, yeah, in COVID, that's been uh, <laughs> an interesting one. Um, our biggest setback would probably be our building of Dulce. Mm -hmm. And um, we were really, we hit this point where we're like, we need to either build Dulce or we need to move on to something else because it was this middle ground and we said, okay, let's build it. Let's make this leap. And we did it about, we made the decision about February last year 
and we started looking around and we found places said all right let's build it and we built it and we got our keys about july 1st and the lockdown for three months came on july 7th so we had went all in on our life savings our i had just taught for four years and had been saving up and we put it all into this um also one of the most proud things because it was my wife and i only who built this there was no outside money but then we got to watch our shop sit there empty on cameras for three months as we sat at home so that was really hard on us um and to come out it kind of cut our flow too because we couldn't bake we couldn't get our name out there so when it came out we found half of our customer base had left and you know communications was hard to break through people weren't going outside still you know like we were having to deal with new laws and health and safety and you know all of this stuff going on in the world and we didn't know what we were doing yet because we hadn't even got to go into our our bakery and set it up um so by far this was our biggest challenge that we had and it was a test. <laughs> yeah. And how did you come out of that test? <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're doing great now. We've we were lucky that when we came out of that, it was holiday season, and um, holiday season is always great for bakeries. Yeah. So we were able to at least keep going. But now we're finding build, 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 build. People are really starting to hear more of us from the marketing aspect. We do a lot of Facebook ads. I'm sure you've seen me on Foodies and and the groups, and we make sure to post every week because we know it's super essential. Um, and then getting on grab and so we've we've always taken these little baby steps we were very very careful not to just do everything at one time because now we're finding doing these baby steps still sometimes the waves crash hard mm. um but it was hard but also a big moment of pride to be able to overcome it yeah is there anything that you can still well there will be what do you think you can still improve on if you had to pick loads <laughs> yeah, what is it? Is there, of course, for anyone yeah, in the world, yeah. there will be. Well, I, we found that our original idea for Dulce was to be like a bake studio. Um, we never planned to have a cafe. We just happened to find a two-story house in a great location that we could renovate and have cafe space and bakery. So we have a lot of vision left to explore, is, is what I would say. We mainly only do sweets now, and we want to do savory. Excuse me. We need to do some savory, and we want to expand that line. Um, we have wholesale coming out right now, which is, we wouldn't even imagine that we've just got into one of the biggest uh, tea and coffee chains in the city at the moment. Um, Chuk Chuk, if you, have you ever seen this oh, one? Yeah. yeah, so they're they're expanding across the city and they approached us and they wanted to grow and, and have our desserts, which was a huge opportunity for us. So now we're finding that Dulce is starting to go in different directions than we planned. Um, and now it's all improvement from there. Yeah, <laughs> like it's all it's it's finding these new paths and growing in them that is really where the growth mm. will be. Yeah. What I do want to do now is now we've kind of explored a bit more on your business side. Yeah. We started the conversation talking about teaching. Yeah. And I do want to come back to that because this already sounds like a lot of work, having not just one business, yeah. but a second business, and you're also a teacher full time. How do you manage it, I suppose, is what I'm trying to ask you. Um, we've, we found it's a lot about systems. Um, when I took over kebabs, they had a very capable staff. Um, so when we made changes, it was easy to make the changes and have them follow. For Dulce, my wife runs most of it. I mean, I, I help with the marketing aspect and the staff aspect, but the product, the baking um, is all output by her. Um, so there's been a lot of shared management that's helped me to do that, um, as well as teaching for six years. So it's not as stressful. 
you know, once you've been a teacher for many years, you start to get your own flow down yeah, with course, teaching. Yeah. So you're not as stressed during the most stressful times and you know how to take advantage of the slow. So it's been a lot of driving back and forth between schools and <laughs> district two and, and district one. But it's also been like my amazing partner who's who's held it down on her side for the bakery and my amazing staff at Kebabs who's held up their side. Yeah. Can I ask you, like are you ever are you ever able to switch off and get any downtime running two businesses and teaching? Well today was my first day off that I've had since Ted Holiday. Oh Lord. So I feel honored that you came to the podcast with me. I must admit, wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> no, no, we were really excited for it. And that's why I, I tend to see, have the tendency to do that. My first free time that I, I schedule something else to do in it. So no, we've really had a lot of trouble switching off, um, especially because the, the bakery was home for the longest time. That mm. I mean, teachers had this problem. Office workers had this problem too, right? Like how, yeah. do, you, how do you delineate work from home when work is home and exactly. home is work? So no, we, we haven't set aside a lot of time and uh, we're kind of hoping this summer we'll get to take two days <laughs> travel. <laughs> yeah, I see. I like, when, when you do like get your downtime, so when it happens, is there anything you like to do? Like, I guess, hang out, have beers with friends or do some reading? Like, how do you switch off when you get the opportunity? We're usually exploring food. Right. I mean, we, yeah. we're... We love to get inspiration from all over. So, like, even today, we had the morning off, and I said we found our, ourselves in District Seven. We didn't know what we were going to do, and we we're like, "Let's." We've never been to Eden in District Seven. Oh, I love it. Yeah, great, great little restaurant, and um, and we want something more homey. You know, Godmother's really fancy and nice, and Soko's nice, but sometimes you just want like a hearty breakfast. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, we'll go to Eden, and then we're in Eden, and there's a new coffee shop called Louia, which is a gorgeous design, very simple. Um, they have a location here in Dean Bimfu, but they just open one of d7 if we have free time we're usually looking for more inspiration because we used to travel a lot i mean we we'd almost travel once a month that was something i had set here to do and that's where a lot of our inspiration for dulce came from you know we went to korea and we saw some of the strawberry shortcakes and we saw some of their their baked goods so our downtime is always looking for inspiration but not necessarily business focused absolutely and what is your motivation? Like what drives you in the work that you do? Why do you keep doing it? We, we just love to make people happy. I mean, we, that's why customer service is our most important um, pillar for our business. We like to make people happy and make sure they either get what they wanted or they're happy to get something they didn't know they wanted. Um, and that's pretty much what always motivates us. Money's nice too, but money is a comfort thing for us more than anything else. And that's why you never find us take shortcuts or cut, cut corners or do anything cheap. Quality is first, customer service is first, the rest of it follows with mm -hmm. it. And if somebody was to want to work with you either in a partnership or work for you in one of your businesses, what should they be aware of? I have a lot of ideas and I will throw them at you 24 seven. I mean, that's, that's wrangling together these thoughts and funneling them is, is probably the biggest problem of working with me. And my wife will tell you that as well, where at one point she was like, just shut up already. Just, <laughs> I've got a lot going on. Just, yeah, yeah. But we could. No, just. So, I mean, working with me means um, knowing, knowing when to find a good idea and to re rein in that funnel. Um, and that's probably it. And I'm pretty stubborn. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty outspoken and stubborn. I don't think I'm always right, but you have to prove me that I'm wrong. Mm, okay. And um, I'm welcome to hear that, but it, 
it can be interesting sometimes. Yeah. And do you have any non-negotiable behaviors, like things that you won't tolerate, for example, lateness or rudeness, or is there anything that you really won't put I up I mean, with? you said lateness, and especially in Vietnam, punctuality is really big. But um, just being open-minded is so important to us. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't accept negativity or hate in, in any way. And it seems like something you shouldn't even have to say anymore. Um, but given some of the recent events that have happened in the city, um, it just needs to be compounded upon that. To work with us, you have to be really accepting. You know, um, we are LGBTQ friendly. We are welcoming. We're a body positive community. We're a, you know, we have people in that community that work for us. We have huge fans in that community. My family members are in that community. So for us, like any form of hate is an instant disqualifier. Um, it just seems like a silly thing to really have to say is important in working with a partner, but um, jokes don't even, you know, like if it's a hateful joke, we don't do it. So yeah. for us, that's a non-negotiable, be punctual, please, um, and be open-minded because we do believe that we're wrong often and you're going to be wrong often and we should be able to say that about each other and not fall out, not fall out over it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so all important parts of working you know, with those saying kebabs. And if we were to have this conversation in two years time, what would you like to be telling me about what you'd achieved? We would like Dulce to be one of the bigger bakeries in the city. Um, from, from a wholesale point of view, we hope that everybody will get a chance to eat a Dulce treat. Maybe you won't always know it's Dulce because we've distributed to somebody, but um, at this moment we're on pace to grow to a point where we will be supplying to cafes across the city and in my point of view if you've ate if if most of the city has ate a dulce product in two years that is exactly where we should be excellent and before we get to the end where i'll let you plug anything that you wish have i has there been a question that i've not asked you that you would have liked me to no no i don't think so this will be the most boring part of the podcast because <laughs> I don't have anything in my mind. I guess that's good for my ego, but feedback is, is always useful. <laughs> it goes, I guess it's related. It's my version of getting feedback, I suppose, by just yeah. asking the guests. You yeah. don't have to, but just if there's anything that I could have done. No, you'll have to edit out the silence for sure. No problem. Happy to do that. <laughs> Time to get to the final bit. Would you like to plug anything? Dulce, kebabs? Anything you'd like to say? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, come check us out. Come check out Dulce de Saigon. You know, we've got a great selection of stuff that you probably can't find anywhere else. And if you're from the West and you're looking for birthday cakes or a treat from home that you haven't seen in a while, Dulce de Saigon is there for you. And of course, kebabs, we've got quality food. We make it all from scratch and the staff is so amazing. So stop by uh, Taudian Square, check them out and say hello and try them out. Um, and besides that, just check out some of the great communities here. We'll, we'll throw out Rad7 and Lost for Paws. Lost for Paws does some amazing stuff and Dulce works with them. And please go help them out. They do so much good work in this community and they struggle every day for it. And um, if, if I could put anybody above Dulce and Kebabs for a shout out, it would have to be something like Lost for Paws. So check your communities, support your communities. And we are so happy that we get a chance to encounter with you. Excellent. Thank you very much, Garrett. I've really enjoyed this. I've loved hearing all of the lessons and I admire both your hard work and dedication. Thank you very much and all the very best. Thanks a lot for having me on, Connor. I appreciate it.